really do. You're a 21 year old punk fucking kid. This grandpa's given you everything all your fucking life. You've never had a car payment, a house payment. Everything you live in was given to you by grandpa. You fucking don't know what it's like to work for a fucking living like I do. To bust my fucking ass and do what I do. And you know what, Sean? You fucked me, and that's the way you got it. But you know what? Your grandpa's money will run out someday, and you'll have to feast for yourself. Get a fucking job, you piece of shit. Welcome to Behind the Smoke Podcast, Barbecue War Stories. I am Sean Walchef from Cali Comfort Barbecue, and we are recording with my man Derek Marceau from Valley Farm Market. We are in Texas. We are here. Texas. Yeehaw. What Yeehaw. Are we, what are we here for? Dude, this is a, a really, really exciting event for us. I mean, this is something we've looked forward to for, for a while now. And um, this National National Barbecue Association, that they put this on. It's it's exciting, man. It's my first time here, not in Texas, but at, at this event. And um, we talk about it a lot. But, you know, events like this are, are what excite us about about this industry, just events in general and getting everybody together and seeing seeing people you haven't seen for a long time. <clears throat> it's just uh, incredibly exciting. Yeah, I think uh, for those of you tuning in for the first time on Facebook Live or to the podcast, uh, Derek and I were very fortunate to be in this position to talk about barbecue, to talk about business, digital marketing. Every week we put out this podcast on Friday. It comes out at 3.59 a.m. Uh, Pacific time. And we just share our entrepreneurial struggle. Uh, we share the things, the voicemail in the beginning was a former business partner of mine. Um, business isn't always what you see on television, all the sexy stuff. With, yeah. It's not uh, those rainbows and butterflies that everyone posts on Instagram. Um, it's, it's tough. It's hard. It's grinding, but it's hands down some of the most rewarding things you'll ever do in life. I mean, to be able to experience people that come out and, and have your food and you, you feed them um, and say, it's, you know, the best they've ever had and they want to bring their family and they become so vested in you. It's, it's a movement that uh, I'm proud to be a part of. Yeah. It's, very, very humbling. And today we uh, we set this up. So in 2012, Cali Comfort Barbecue, thanks to Gene Goykache, our barbecue mentor, he got us on this barbecue bus tour when the National Barbecue Association, they came out to San Diego. And they came out to San Diego. They came out to, uh, they went on a bus tour to Coops. They went to Phil's. They went to Abby's. Uh, they went to Brazen, our buddy Brazen, uh, John Bracmonte. And then they came out to Cali Comfort. And, you know, it was a bus full of probably 45 barbecue business owners, pit masters, people from all over the country. And we were just so humbled to meet the team, the team from 17th street barbecue, uh, Mike Mills, Amy Mills, you know, you guys left a huge impression on us. Um, just the time that you took to talk to me, to talk to my wife, uh, to talk to my brother who was running our pit, um, to tell us your story. Uh, that was something that, you know, forever changed the way that we look at, at the industry. And, you know, we were so, so young back then. We're, we're still young, even though, you know, 10 years, uh, Cali Comfort will be in, in April, we'll be celebrating our 10 year anniversary. Um, they kind of feel like dog years. That's, you know, it's like they, they're very extended, but we, we appreciate the time that you took. Uh, we appreciate the National Barbecue Association for coming out to San Diego to see what was going on on the West Coast, um, to try our tri-tip. But then now to come full circle, to be out here uh, at the National Barbecue Association, I am BBQ 2018, um, Amy Mills, Mike Mills from 17th Street, the legends, Mike, a Hall of Famer, Amy, the, you, we are, we are so humbled to have you here today and we are very excited to talk barbecue, talk about um, your journey, both of your journeys, uh, and give us a little bit of insight into 
the world of 17th Street Barbecue. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. It is truly our pleasure. Um, so let's, tell us a little bit about uh, about the 17th Street story. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, 17th Street um, really encompasses my dad's whole life, but officially started in 1985 when he bought a bar and grill that has been in operation for over 100 years. Um, and for over 100 years, they have served a barbecue sandwich and a hamburger is that right and when when i was little you know you couldn't go in the bar because it was a bar so it was really sure. mostly just men not even really any women but there's a drive-through and you could pull through the drive-through and take home bags of barbecues or bags of hamburgers and the drive-through has no menu it's just a doorbell and you pull <laughs> up and ring the doorbell and tell them what you want and it's actually still that way today there's pretty much locals use the drive-through um you just have to know what you want. Know but what you want, but sure. now you can order a steak or a much more extensive meal from the drive-through versus um, versus a burger or a ham or a barbecue. But in in the mid eight mid to late eighties, um, my dad and a group of friends started um, a barbecue contest, and really in an effort to drive some economic development in our town. You know, we're a town of seven thousand people. Um, Walmart came in and really destroyed what the charming downtown that we had and sure. really things have, you know, been on a downhill slide. So they very quickly figured out that in order to get people to come to our contest, um, they decided they would form a team and go and compete in contests. And then they would be able to tell other people about what was happening in Murfreesboro. And very quickly they started winning and winning really big. <laughs> so they were, they were bit by the bug. So not only are they contest organizers, but they, you know, became the winningest team in history. And at this t point, many more teams have won more contests than Apple City Barbecue, but nobody has come out of the gate and won the way they did. So, so many, was, was and, 17th Street the name before you guys started? 17, um, the, what we bought was called Allen Ray's. Okay. And there was a famous um, bumper sticker in town, and you can still see one on a very old, very old cars. Nice. It said, if your wife drives you to drink, have her drive you to Allen Ray's. <laughs> but in the That's early good. part of the century, it was called Ellis Tavern. So it's had three or four owners in its lifetime. But always since it was Ellis Tavern, has there has been you know a barbecue and a hamburger. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about competing on, on the tour. Did you did you compete at all? I did not compete on the tour, so I will leave that to you. Well, as <clears throat> we completed competed on the tour from ninety to uh, ninety four, and technically we speaking, my my partner uh, in that venture, um, Pat Burke. Uh, sometimes we go by ourselves. Sometimes there'd be twenty people. Just all depend. Anybody could be on the team. We, you know, it was just a. We we did it as a community thing. We didn't think anything about what was you know actually happening at that point in time, other than it brought <clears throat> during that weekend in Murfreesboro. It it filled the hotels. You know, it we only had one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it filled it up in Carbondale, and you know, it became a, a very big event for Murfreesboro. It still is to this day. Uh, were both contests, uh, the KCBS, the uh, Memphis in May, and also the uh, stake contest is, what you know the numbers on that are the letters? S-C-A. Yeah, State Cook-Off Association. Yes. Yeah. 
And again, we still tell the hotels, but there's not a hotel anymore. It finally fell down. Oh, really? You know, it's one of oh, these no. things. We're know, getting a new we're one. We're talking now. about small seven, town. 17th Street one? Is it going to be called 17th Street? Well, you said 7,000 <laughs> people. I mean, I had 7,000 people in my high school. Oh, really? Yeah. Seriously? So, I mean, if you're, that's, well, that's wow. a small you, you town. You know where I'm coming from. Oh, you yeah. Know, you know. yeah. So this was a big deal, and it still is a big deal. Uh, I think the most teams that we've ever had has been 96, I 96 believe. 96 teams. That's huge. That's huge. Uh, that, that's a huge turnout. Yeah. Yes. Very big, for, especially for small town USA. Absolutely. That, I mean, we're in San Diego and we have contests and we can't get 96. No, no, we're not there Seven, yet. We, we like to be like 75 teams. <clears> that's, 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 where that's, that's where we like to be. That's right. very manageable. Sure. You it know. lets you get around and talk to each team and not feel so spread out. Yeah. yeah. So talk about the the birth of the contest and how it's how it's progressed over the years because one of the things you know the contest because of the Spring Valley contest this amateur barbecue contest it's really that's why we became a barbecue restaurant that's I asked Gene how do you put on a barbecue contest and he had a KCBS background he came and he helped because he gave he cared about charity he cared about giving back and you know he met with Derek and I I went over to Derek the local butcher and asked you know would you be the meat sponsor and for us without that contest we wouldn't be sitting here today i mean barbecue became it, it it was in our blood but now it's it's what we do it's it's hospitality it's giving back it's promoting amateur barbecue you know it's a platform for teams to come and compete so that they can if they if they get the bug they want to start competing in kcbs so was yours kcbs or it was still no yeah but the, now the, is the, it no it's no, the it's one that we amateur. do it's still amateur yeah so but we the have, amateur one we have a kcbs one in del mar that that's obviously kcbs yeah, that one's so not a, yeah not ones. at the restaurant yeah. Uh, so t tell us just about the challenges, I guess, in growing the contest from the early years to where it is now. Well, it's ours started out as an MBN sanctioned contest and the KCBS, you know, MBN started before KCBS and MBN is three pork items. So you can cook ribs, pork, shoulder, or now you can just cook a butt and whole hog. And what's unique about that is that you could roll up and just cook ribs and win the whole thing. So if you finaled in ribs and then you got the highest point of all those nine finalists, like three from ribs, three from pork, three from hog, you would win. So okay. you didn't have to do all categories like you do in KCBS. It's just a little bit of a different animal. And then, you know, there's the, the showmanship part of that is the on-site judging where you really get to chat with the judges and talk about that. And, you know, you hear a lot of people who mistakenly think that that is what wins it for you. But, you know, the, right. a, a contest is always won in the blind box. Right. Yeah. And the blind box can't talk. Right. So you have to win blind. You could do great outside and tank inside and you're not going to win. Right. So there, I feel like I'm always trying to dispel that myth that people have about it. But the MBN uh, Memphis and May quit sanctioning contests. And then a different group was formed to administer those contests called Memphis Barbecue Network. And there, there are just not as many of those contests now. It's a more expensive way to compete. You know, it, you would have to cook as though you were cooking for your blind box turn in and your first round of judging. And then you would cook as though you were going to be in finals too, because if you got the call that you were in finals, you needed to have another set of meat ready to go for that. That's so it is, it is a lot, uh, but that's all we knew. And you know, our, we probably had at the most ever maybe a 40 team contest, but it started dwindling. Um, you know, we were really one of the few uh, MBN contests above Memphis. So they're really heavily more in, you know, south of us. 
So we decided to join up also with KCBS, and we had the first ever dual-sanctioned contest. And we staggered the cooking time so that if you were cooking ribs for MBN, you might, you know, for KCBS, you might as well pay and enter and turn in those MBN ribs too. You might win. Um, and the same with pork. So you could really, we'll, every year we'll probably have 10 teams who will cook every category, which is kind of cool. Um, and usually those teams have a lot more members. And say that's, that's a yeah. big thing to do. Right it there. is. It, it's a lot of work, but people do it and they, and they do really well. So it's, it's interesting. And that has brought, you know, many more teams to our town. It's exposed those KCBS teams to MBN. The MBN people were already cooking, starting to cook KCBS, but um, most KCBSers were not cooking MBN. So it's, you know, we feel good about exposing them to a different type of contest and, you know, different rules. And we have a few people who have really caught on to that and like it a lot. Um, and then this past year, we at, or not past, three years ago, we added the steak component of that because i think that's the next big thing in competition cooking yeah. you're you know one and done you show up sure. they give you the meat you, sh you bring your your grill your fuel source some tongs and a some spices and you're you good, go. and way, you're good to go easier. and you still have your weekend yep. yeah so we do that on friday night and um you know and again we were sort of trying to get locals involved you know a local person could come in sure. and cook that contest as well we're really trying to introduce more and more people to the sport you know food sport was that open for the cooking. public to see yes the steak was mm -hmm. yeah so if you're a team you cooked at your cook site okay. but the, but the the um steak people came too and so we just put them all in a parking lot okay and they cooked and um you know and then that introduced that group of people to a barbecue contest so it's sort of cross-pollinating was what we're trying to do and really get a lot of people interested in it gives them a little added world. value too exactly you know, it gives them a little bit more that they weren't exposed to earlier and now they can see oh this is actually kind of cool we can do steaks exactly. we can do a pork we can turn two pork things and and maybe win that, that's actually pretty cool for them right <coughs> right so it's it's been a it's been a really good win 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 all around i think um and now we have a whole new set of steak cook-off friends. How has how sponsors been? Because being in such a small town, I'm sure you guys have come out of pocket significantly to support the event. Well, it's a good thing we have a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. 17th Street is the major sponsor of this. Uh, we, we have some good long-term sponsors. You know, we don't have anyone who gives above $5,000, and we don't have very many of those. Um, you know, we have a lot of $500, $1,000 sponsors. We have a few... Um, who will give a little more than that. But what we have done that I think really involves the town is this thing that we call the friend of the barbecue. So for $125, and that will be going up this year, uh, we have two evening events to try to have something for our, our town to get involved in. We have a big fish fry one night, and we have a grand champion buffet the next night. So they get two tickets to each of those events, and they get a T-shirt. We always have a great T-shirt that people want to wear and buy. That's you know key to get people out wearing your stuff and that we will have about 1500 people come through on Friday night and about 800 people come through on Thursday night. So not everybody buys the sponsorship. Some people just pay at the door, but we get most of that food donated. So that helps us tremendously in, um, you know, providing a prize purse because we pay out $25,000 mm -hmm. that we split up between the two contests. <coughs> So, and then obviously you just have all of your other expenses on top of that. 
So how many restaurants are you operating? Two restaurants. Two, two mm-hmm. restaurants. How many employees? 92 employees. 92 total between mm-hmm. the two? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's a serious operation. What are you, 89 for one? 89 for one. How many seats do you have? Uh, we have 225. Okay. So we have 250 seats in our Marion restaurant, and we have 90 in our Murfreesboro restaurant. And then we have our event facility, and that's in, that's including the employees there, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How often are you guys so doing thin. events? Which the, kind of events? Well, any time. At the, I mean, at the every week, every day. Really? So <laughs> I love it. <laughs> every day. <laughs> Pretty much. In our warehouse. We're always doing an event. Exactly. In our warehouse, um, so across the street from our restaurant that seats 90 people, we have a building that's 30,000 square feet. And my uncle used to own that building. It was a catalog showroom. It actually, in the late 1800s, it was a, it was a grocery warehouse. So it was fruit and vegetable produce purveyor. Um, wholesaler who was in there. So my uncle bought it in the seventies and he ran a catalog showroom. So that was like basically everything Walmart sells, but one of each thing is sitting out on the floor and upstairs are all the things. So little ladies would walk around and write down the numbers of what you wanted. And then it would come down on a conveyor belt and it was, you could buy your wedding ring there and register for your wedding China. And you could buy your toaster and your blender and your suitcase for your honeymoon and had photographic equipment and, um, health and beauty aids, you know, it was just like a locally owned store like that. When that went out of business, when Walmart came into town oh, and good. sat empty for a number of years before my dad bought it. So now it's two event rooms. One holds 300 people and that can open up and accommodate another 150. Then a, a different room holds 70 people. And we have our catering kitchen there. All We do all of our mail order. It's our office. So a lot of things happen in that building, and those rooms are rented all the time. Wow, that's great. How far out will you guys cater? You know, I know Marion, and where you guys are at, it's uh, you know, smaller towns. Like I, you know, I've been to Carbondale and Marion, and um, so how far out? If someone calls you and they're, uh, you know, in I don't know Tennessee or you know, how far out will you guys go? The farthest we've gone probably is like New York City and. Connecticut, and we do a lot in wow. Chicago because wow. people will come to SIU and meet and have their dates at 17th Street. Absolutely. Sometimes they'll come back there and get married, or they will want our food in Chicago. So I mean, we'll we'll go all over the country. I just was texting with my my best friend Joey Metropolis, who played for the Miners uh, in in you know. Uh, Marion, and he was just telling me how much he just loves you guys. He's like, man, can you can you give me bring me back some of these ribs? I'm like, I I can't. They don't have any with them right now, but uh, we'll we'll figure. We it always out. feed the well, miners and for their kickoffs. Um, you know, he just went year. back last year. He got inducted to the Hall of Fame for, and they retired his number at uh, Marion, and then um, he did a home run derby against Jose Canseco. Oh, and uh, he just beat Jose Canseco last year. He hadn't, he hadn't played in seven years and uh, hadn't picked up a bat or anything. They asked him to come out and fly out for charity. So he flew out and uh, went against Jose Canseco and beat him in a home run derby last year. That's very Pretty fun. Pretty cool, yeah. So I, I love it out there. So Mike, tell us <coughs> tell us a little bit about your uh, your Air Force One story. You've you've been fortunate to to be the, the barbecue guy that has served the President of the United States. Well, yes, and of course, I had no clue and really wasn't putting quite together exactly what all was going was gonna to happen. And of course, I knew the president was going to come to town, I, and I had these Secret Service guys coming in about a week ahead of time before I knew what was happening. And of course, they had already checked everything out 
to see, you know, that I wasn't some sort of a terrorist, you know, <laughs> the group around there wasn't going to poison. And there are certain rules that you had to go by, and we had to charge. We had to, uh, you know, you think, well, to get the president, yeah, I'll, I'll do it for nothing. You yeah, know, for sure. I'll, Absolutely. Um, but couldn't do that. Oh, really? You, they, no, had, they had they a minimum? Had to, uh, we had to charge them a fee. Oh, yeah. Um, and all that food ended up being donated. Oh, really? Yes, it was donated to uh, some of the churches in town and different, uh, different you know, groups. But then we prepared a barbecue meal for the, uh, well, was, both of them were barbecue, actually, but then we cooked for the president, you know. What was the menu? Uh, ribs. <laughs> <laughs> baby you know, backs or spares? Uh, baby backs. Always baby backs. Always baby backs. backs. Always no, baby backs. I've always cooked baby backs all my life. I, they're, they're, they're just a better rib. You, you know, go. don't misunderstand me. The other ones are good and they're awesome, but at the same time, a baby back is, is got the flavor. You yeah, know, absolutely. It has a higher pH balance, and it's 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 a far it's far more tender piece of meat, anyways, with that with that fat content in it. It's great, right? And, you know, you can just bring <clears> the flavor <throat> out in them. You still got the ribs, but you know they're much leaner, not near the fat content, right? Um, and I always say, you know, it tastes more like a pork chop, yep. uh, where the other ones taste, you know. They taste like ribs. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's not a it's not a, in the weight bearing section of the hog, so it's it's going to be just a naturally more tender piece of meat, anyways. So exactly. I, I I personally do baby back ribs at my my place all the time, and we we go through you know a lot, and it's just uh, I figured out it's a lot better for me, and I, I love the consistency of a baby back rib more and, it, and it's so subjective right because everyone has their own you know spare ribs baby back um <clears throat> but you know it's just what i personally like and you know i know sean you, you guys we do, do yeah we do st louis you guys do st louis in the restaurant <clears throat> well and, and different ones you know both ribs are good if you're if you like barbecue you're going to enjoy either one of them did the president enjoy your but barbecue at this, at this, pardon did the president enjoy your barbecue Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which president was it? Well, I, it was well you know, there's been several Bill, things Bill that's happened out of that whole event. Um, his chief security man, I did his wedding. Oh, really? Yeah, that's by a, way of mail. No way. That his is rehearsal amazing. dinner. No yeah, way. His, I did his rehearsal dinner. Very cool. And uh, everybody always asked me, did he pay you? <laughs> <laughs> did he pay you? Uh, in advance. <laughs> yes, he did. Yeah. You know, it's the same as, you know, I couldn't donate the meal. I couldn't give the meal. I had to pay our, um, I had to charge for the meal. Yeah. You know, I had to charge for the meal that, um, you know, I, I couldn't get it. I couldn't show favoritism. I couldn't do all these things, the rules that they had to go by. Did you get to go aboard Air Force One? Actually deliver the ribs onto the onto the. Air I Force did One? not. We I was at the restaurant uh -huh. waiting for the president to show up. Ah. In the meanwhile, from the time that I left, the crowd left, and we left to go to the restaurant, um, he had gotten a call as they were going down the street. He had gotten a call that they were having problems and he needed to come back to Washington immediately that they were having uh, problems in Bosnia oh. at that particular point mm -hmm. in time. Um, 
And of course, I always told him, you know, I, whenever I got to talk to him, and I might add, he's very impressive individual. I mean, you know, he's stature of him and everything. He's kind of, he's kind of like you. I mean, you know, when you walk up, it's there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and he was he, he was very cool. I mean, the things that went on and the when he was at the school, uh, they didn't know whether they, they almost had to where there wasn't going to be any more colleges. I mean, it just everything. And he was there to dispel this myth. You know that he wasn't there to cut out the colleges, cut the kids where they couldn't afford it. You know, I mean, this type of thing. Um, but he was a very impressive individual. Whether you happen to like him or not like him, he is very. You know, if you talk to him, he's charismatic. He's, very yeah. charismatic. Yes, very, very much so. I mean, you, he'd change your mind just through meeting him and talking with him. I think that happens a lot when you when you get these high profile people. <clears throat> when you get in front of them. You can actually relate to them a lot more, and you can you can see that they're they're humans and they're <clears throat> just people, and you can talk to them. You're like, man, I actually like this person a lot. People think these uh, high profile people are just untouchable. You, you don't know what you're going to get, and <clears throat> nine times out of ten, they're they're just normal people, good yes, good quality, exactly. good quality people, man. And people don't understand that <clears throat> you know there are certain people that they they just got this. When he walked in the room. You know, he came out of, out of out of one room and walked into the room. You could, you didn't. My back was to him, but I knew that somebody of importance had showed up. Sure, you could. Feel you it. feel it. You feel you it. Feel the electricity. For sure. I mean, and there wasn't a loudspeaker saying, you know, and here's the president, blah blah blah. Uh, he was great to talk to. You know, nice to be around. Um, and the guy that I did the wedding for, I can't remember. I'm, Apologize, I can't remember his name now. Um, I talked to him quite a bit, and they really couldn't talk to you about a whole lot until they got ready to leave. And the security that came in, and, and he was one of them that uh, was telling about how great it was, and he was there to give his life sure. to the president yeah. if wow. necessary. They learned how to walk in unison with his back to the president's back, you know, going forward, going out into the crowd. He was there to take a bullet. Well, that was his job. Mike, uh, talk to me a little bit about how you got this uh, barbecue bug, if you will. How did you get uh, so in, involved in, in barbecue? I mean, I know it's kind of something that a lot of us grew up with. Like, you know, my, my dad kind of <clears throat> taught me, and at first I, I didn't like it because I'd always – smell them i'm like oh my gosh dad you know you smell like smoke and this and that and um but you it's it's infectious How, how'd you get caught up in it well my dad was a barbecue he loved to barbecue that's if he uh if he wasn't fishing mm-hmm. you know <laughs> uh he was barbecuing sure and uh, it's just something that he did every saturday my dad was a salesman uh you know he sold on uh, he sold soap suds palm olive uh, and cigarettes, <laughs> uh, this type of thing, to grocery stores. And his whole family had been involved in the selling world somewhere or another at one point in time down southeast Missouri. And But every weekend he barbecued, and all the neighbors would bring over meat. And uh, he would barbecue. And sometime that night, depending on what had happened to me, that they were cooking or wanting as to when it would happen to come off. 
and uh, I remember as a kid waking up and smelling smoke and my crib was next to the window and I'd sit and holler until <laughs> my mom would come in and open the window up or, or open the uh, blinds up and be able to see my dad out there then I'd holler and scream to go outside and I never did figure out, you know, well, it took me years to figure out, I finally got, I finally got it, <laughs> sure. that how come he put that wood pile just about over there to that wall, you know, about 10, to, 10 12 foot away from the where he was needing it, but it was my job to haul the limb, the, uh, he built me a wagon, or a wheelbarrow, to haul the wood over to the fire. And of course, I don't want to get one over there, and it was a long trip for me. I'm gonna tell you, sure. you know, a little kid over there to uh, haul this wood, and you know, I wasn't smart enough to, you know, talk him into putting it closer. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but that was my job was to haul the haul the wood, you know, and I'm gonna tell you, and of course, the wagon was made out of orange crates, um, but I knew that we were gonna get something good to eat. And all the neighbors knew that they were going to get something good to eat. But it was a big deal, you know. Sure. He, you know, he passed away whenever I was young, and I always missed that. But my brothers and my uncle uh, kind of took up the uh, – they also barbecued and kind of took that up. And then whenever I became older, then I started barbecuing. So, so it was I just a, fam a family myself. affair. Yes. Just, just get everyone together. And it's it's good to hear you guys talk about, too, you know, wanting to do an event for your guys' town and stuff and kind of bring people in. It's something that Sean and I are very passionate about as well. When we, we started doing our Spring Valley one, we had a thing. It was called the Santa Sofia Fair. And it got – it was something I went to when I was young. And then <clears throat> it went away. And it's just something now that we're doing this event, it's like we just want something – for everyone to be proud of, you know, everyone to be able to come to and be proud of and uh, be be excited about um, and get everybody together and, and just hearing the story of, you know, just that's basically what it is. It's just your family affair, getting everybody together to do it um, and bringing, you know, your daughter in. And it's, it's awesome, awesome to hear. I'm, I'm just really, really intrigued. So did you always like it? No. <laughs> so, honesty, so, honesty. We yeah. Love it. What, we love so, honesty. were you kind of like me at the beginning? No, I you, ran far and fast from all of this. Far away. I went away to journalism school in Missouri, and then I moved very briefly to Dallas and then to Boston. <clears throat> and I always worked in advertising, marketing, and PR jobs. But I would do little things. You know, he would call and he would need a form or a logo or a, please write this for me. You know, sure. I always did little things. And in 2000, 2000, I got divorced and I began spending more time back in Southern Illinois. And, you know, sort of about that time, you know, his star is rising more. And, you know, I just did, started doing more and more in the business. And now it's, you know, 24, 27. I, get to, I do get to sleep a little bit. But tell, um, tell us about the sticky note. How, how, the how sticky to, yeah, one of the so, things I love about this book is that you guys dig so deep into the family. I love that you read that. I, li I read all of it, and oh, it, it touched you. my heart because thank you. It's the sticky note, the family. I mean, it it reminds me of I hated the restaurant, you know, growing up, but I'm so grateful that my grandfather made me work 
when I was a young boy, you know, bus tables, wash dishes, but tell us about the sticky note and how, so, it, how it propelled uh, and, and also how it's come full circle with your, your, with my your children. Yes. yes, exactly. So I was home and, you know, he handed me this little post-it note and said, would you call this person back for At me? what age? This, this was, you know, in 2000. Okay. So not. You know, from- I'm a, I'm a grown up. Sure. And I called and the woman said, Oh, you know, thanks for calling me back. I am writing a story for Martha Stewart Living Magazine about <laughs> mail order barbecue. But no I, big deal. But no I big called deal. three weeks ago and so I already wrote the story. Oh. And so I said, you know, Daddy, give me those notes and I will follow up because we always call back, but it wasn't always on a sure. timely basis, apparently. Sure. So I really started out sort of by fulfilling that PR function of just following up and you know, anytime someone called, I would make sure they got the recipe or the photo or the quote or whatever it was they needed to write their stories. And, you know, we all know that following up is half the battle yes. or all the battle, really, in yes. this game. The person who follows up the fastest gets the early bird gets the worm. Um, but, you know, living in Boston, it, it's a fabulous place to live. And I was so grateful to raise my children there. But I also knew they were missing you know, a different aspect of growing up or just a different way of growing up in the way I grew up. And I, it was important to me to bring them back to Southern Illinois and make sure they realize that other people live in different ways because two very different worlds. And so, um, you know, they came back a lot and sometimes, you know, they're really little and they're just really in the way they're tagging along and helping seat people or, you know, helping do yeah, all right. kinds of things. Helping trying not to work. Right. Because <laughs> that's what I was doing. No, they, they was liked pre- it. Pretending they, I was they, working. They enjoyed it, actually. But they weren't, they were in the way when they were really little. Sure. But then as they got older, they could do more tasks. And they filled a lot of magic dust bottles and <laughs> all those things. But the first time I sent my son back to work uh, by himself, he w- went and worked at the Springfield Fair, the Illinois State Fair in Springfield, which is about three hours from Murfreesboro. And he is sitting there in his little Harry Potter glasses and his little polo shirt. And he's a real intellectual, um, you know, not, this was not his idea of fun at all, but he, and so he's asked right off, he wanted to get the ground rules set. And he said, Grampy Mike, what is our break schedule? <laughs> and my dad said, break, break if you, if you have a customer, you're not on break, but if you don't have a customer, you're on break. So a couple days go by and he called me and he said, well, I'll have you know, I haven't eaten lunch since I've been here. And I said, well, Woody, if you are working in a barbecue stand and you cannot figure out how to eat lunch, I can't help you. Right. He thought he was going to get a lunch hour. He yeah. would get to go to some other stand and, and buy some <laughs> yeah. buy some food to try. That's hilarious. So a few more days go by and I get another call. And he said, well, Grampy Mike, I've discovered is doing something illegal. <laughs> and I said, really? What's happening? he said, well, we're working 12 and 14 hour days. And it is my understanding that we're supposed to be getting time and a half for part of that. And I said, well, what he's doing that's illegal is that he's giving you cash at the end of the day. So if you would right. like to talk about giving 33% of pay, that pay your taxes, to the government, boy. we could talk about time and a half. And that's I could, actually a really good family wage. Some people don't get paid. And I could hear his, I could hear his little voice. Depends on the family. He hear his little mind worrying, and he said, well, this will be okay. <laughs> so the next year comes around, and I said, now, if you don't want to have a job here locally, you're going to have to go back and work at the fair. He said, well, that'll be okay. I don't want a job where I have to pay taxes. <laughs> so he very quickly figured he out the American way. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. I got a funny story about that, too. I came in, um, I was fortunate 
fortunate to play football and play in the NFL for a little bit. And when I got done playing, I um, was doing life insurance, didn't like it. And I came into work with my dad at the butcher shop. You know, we've, it's 62 years now, but at the time, you know, it was uh, like 50, our 50th anniversary, somewhere around there. And um, I remember doing stuff and I came in, I was going to, you know, just do everything. And um, he was sending people on break and into lunch. And I said, <clears throat> everyone got done and, you know, thinking it's my turn now to go on break. And my name never came up. And I said, hey, Dad, when, when am I going to lunch? He goes, son, what's your last name? I said, Marceau. He goes, Marceau's don't take breaks. I said, okay. And that's just how it was. That's just what you did. We don't know. And it's I'm so happy that that's the way I learned because now I don't know anything else. And I just work. And, and, and yeah, sure, again, I, I own a grocery store. I can find food real quick and, and eat it and go and do whatever we do. But it's uh, that mentality of you don't work until you're tired. You worked until you're finished with right. a job. <clears throat> so that's what we have to do all the time. We just keep working until the job's finished, and then and then you can figure it out. But there is no <laughs> – at 10 o'clock, you're going to work. 11 o'clock, you're going to get your break. And at 12, you're going to take your lunch. That doesn't happen with these types of businesses. No. No. Yeah. What I love is that my son now works in New York City in the publishing magazine world. And early on, he called one day and he was complaining about a coworker. And he said, she leaves at the stroke of five o'clock, no matter if she has work <laughs> still to do or not. Like he was shocked. Could not He's believe that shocked. this person just w walked out at five. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it funny? I mean, it, it, you know, exactly what Derek says. You, you don't realize when your kids even though as much as I hated going to the restaurant, I hated it. You know, my grandfather was a medical doctor. The restaurant wasn't his primary focus, but I remember he would wake me up and I would get in the car and we would drive out to East County, San Diego. And all my friends were playing sports. They were all, you know, hanging out, sleeping in. And I was driving with him and he goes, Sean, do you see what's happening on the road? And I said, no, you know, uh, upset, cranky. And he's like, there's no cars on the road. And I said, why is that? I don't know, Grandpa, why? Why is that? And he goes, it's because no one else is working, but we're going to be working today. You know, it was something that just working and accomplishing something meant so much to him that had I not had those experiences, I wouldn't, when we're doing our 20-hour days for, you know, putting on these barbecue events and, you know, we're dead tired and we wake up. But it's it's that grind. It's that grind that you do and then the reward that you get at the end. And it's not even a monetary reward. It's being able to talk to those teams after they've put everything in and they've put their families, you know, and they're like thanking us for putting on the event. And we're thanking them for participating in the event. You know, it's it's really it comes it comes full circle. And, you know, you your family has been doing things like this and you're spreading barbecue, the gospel all across the United States um, and now all across the world. Talk about New York City. I love that. Oh, it's cool. That's, uh, that, That's really cool. Yes, it is. It's, uh, it's been quite an experience uh, to have an opportunity, you know, to go to New York City, be involved with a very successful restaurant, and then also be involved into a barbecue very successful barbecue contest, or not really a contest. An event. An, an event. A celebration. That is a, a celebration of, for all these. The question was, can you produce barbecue in New York? Everybody said you couldn't do it. You know, you'd have to be in the South. It, you know, it just wasn't barbecue area. Well, that's been proven wrong. 
you know, That's for awesome. several, several years now with all of the barbecue places that's been there and been very successful. Um, it's still going on, it, and I love to go back, you know. Uh, would I want to live there? No. But at the same time, I love every minute that I am there during the barbecue and the people that I've met there over a period of years. It's been incredible. Tell us about how Danny Meyer, how did that, how did this whole project happen, you know, with the restaurant as well as the contest? Well, um, way back when, we have some great friends who are barbecue contest judges named um, Pat Daly and Tom Vertel. And they are Tony Award-winning Broadway producers wow. of The Producers oh, and wow. Hairspray, among really? other wow. Very cool. major hits. But they are love, love, love barbecue. And uh, Pat actually wrote an essay. Uh, the Jack Daniels way back when was looking for judges. And you could write an essay and say why you wanted to be a judge. And so she wrote an essay about Tom and his love for barbecue and that he needed to be a judge. And he was chosen. <laughs> and that's when he met my dad and they became friends and they just went on this quest to somehow get him to new york city they called other <laughs> restaurateurs um you know alfred portali who had the um american the american bar and grill um you know would you yeah. be interested in having a barbecue restaurant they they searched high and low for somebody who wanted to be in barbecue and one of their producer friends and partners uh, his name is rocco landisman and he's from st louis and Rocco said, you know, I have this guy I know from growing up um, named Danny Meyer, and he owns Union Square Cafe. Yeah. He's about to open Gramercy Tavern, um, just open Gramercy Tavern, and, you know, maybe he would be interested. So Danny is a big Cardinals fan, and they invited him over to watch a Cardinals game, and they flew in meat and, you know, ribs and beans and all barbecue and just talked to him about, Mike and this barbecue and and he was intrigued and he said you know wow if this was you know frozen and shipped here and tastes like this I wonder what it tastes like at the source and at that time he was getting ready to open 11 Madison Park in Tabula and so he was not really looking you know to do another restaurant right away but he was very intrigued and he and Michael Romano who at that time was the executive chef at Union Square Cafe came on a, a visit kind of a surreptitious visit and ate the barbecue and enjoyed it and then you know asked to talk to him and meet and learn what was happening after that they went all over the country and tried barbecue everywhere just you know a real exploratory thing and i really feel like he's the first person who started doing that kind of field work I, yeah. you know i don't people didn't do that now it's a very big thing to take a barbecue pilgrimage and food tourism is so huge but sure. that was not really a thing you know barbecue was not a food group to most people at that time but he they came back and said you know we've been everywhere we really like your barbecue you know would you be interested in helping us and so that you know was a two-year journey of teaching training they spent a lot of time in murfreesboro working on our pits and learning things and then of course there was um all the um education of getting you know a barbecue pit installed in new york sure. city invented up 15 oh stories oh, i can't, I can't, I can't even, even imagine and then living there really he, you know mike lived Jeez. there for um, about six weeks as it was opening so he could be there every day and wow. um, so he had to, he lived in a hotel around the corner and he had his own dry cleaner and to this day that dry cleaner when they see him go by in the sh shirt with the apple man on the back you know they clean those shirts for him for six oh, yeah. weeks they, that's great they remember him 
That's yeah. great. What what <clears throat> made you want to go into partnership um, in this venture? Because it's really difficult when you've done something successful <laughs> for yourself uh, and then to venture out and to do something different. I It was one of those situations that to, to me it was a challenge. I had no clue and didn't know how I would ever be able to have the opportunity to do something like that. And I... Um, I, I just don't think I did. <laughs> uh, it was a, it was a challenge to me, and I knew that I wasn't going to be able to go to New York and put in a restaurant and didn't intend to. That sure. wasn't my cup of tea. But to go there on the conditions that I went, I it was awesome. It was a win 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 for everybody. Uh, you know, it was just it was incredible um, to be and and also the people that were involved in being able to have the opportunity and. Danny Meyer is just an incredible individual. His mind and the way he thinks and the way he talks to people and the way he treats people, it, it, it's incredible. It's, it's you know, um, did anybody ever think or did he even ever think that he'd be doing, and you know, building this Shake Shack, for example. I was there at the same time he was, you know, putting his Shake Shack in and, I mean, it was a great concept, but nobody ever thought it was going to be what it is. Yeah, a publicly <laughs> yeah. traded company. Exactly. Yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, yes, what he's is. done as a restaurateur is, yes. I mean, we, we admire it, obviously, from afar, all the sure. books he's put out and having hospitality in your DNA. You know, we talk about having hospi a hospitality blood type, but really. Be positive. It's be positive. If you're not positive, if you're not doing the things that it's service. You know, what we do and what we're so fortunate to do and have the gifts to do is to be able to have a place where people can come and they can feel like family and they become family. He made you feel this way. Um, I mean, I've, I've studied him pretty hard. And <clears throat> he, he he's sincere. He, I mean, he's what, what you see is what you get. Right. Um, I mean, and... He'll know each and every person that works there, and he'll know something about them. You know, it all becomes a family yeah. in that aspect. And he's still that same way today. Yeah. Um, you would never really realize who he is, you know, by his actions. You know, like, here I am, I'm somebody. Right. Yeah, no, it's not that way. Yeah, I think that's uh, important for people to understand, too. You know, pardon? I think that's really important for people to understand. Oh. That it's you can learn yes. a lot about people if you just watch them and see how they treat others, and you can really get a grasp of who they are. You know, for for me, I know Sean as well. You know, I, I need to make sure that I'm I'm very um, open with my employees and that I invested in them as much as they're invested in me because it has to be a win-win situation. And, you know, for me, I don't, I don't pay any of my employees minimum wage. I pay them all over minimum wage. I pay, I, I try to do whatever I can. I don't need to retire tomorrow. I want to make sure that they're comfortable and in, in, it's, it's more important for everybody that works for me to have a, a good life than it is for me to make an extra $50,000 a year. You know, I, I want to do whatever I can. And it's important for people to, know that when you're going into business, 
you can't go into it for the wrong reasons. And if you're only going into it for a monetary reason, you're probably going to fail. And you're probably going to fail pretty quick too, because it's not going to work because people aren't going to want to work for you. They're going to end up stealing from you. They're, they're going to see right through you. So to be just very um, authentic and be who you are and, and put yourself out there and be vulnerable, it's uh, the rewards are, are far greater than anything else. <clears throat> well, it's one of those things that I can tell you is that the people that has worked with Danny and he's been involved with this type of thing, they would take the bullet. Right. Yeah. You know, sure. They, Fall on the sword. Know, they, they got his back. Right. You know, uh, and a very fair individual. Right? Yeah. Uh, but yet he's very tough to work for as sure. far as, I mean, standards. Know. He has standards. Yes. Yeah. Your quality standards, all, everything revolves around the guest. And if you don't give the guest, an incredible experience, then there is no business. The um, you need to tell the story you tell is much better about <laughs> Jeffrey. You know your friend Jeffrey Steingarten. Yes. Which uh, which one? Which story? <laughs> well, <clears throat> just how Jeffrey is, how persistent he is, and um, this was is probably my favorite story. I don't know uh, which one you mean. Well, just about him as a whole calling and, you know, wanting to get ribs and wanting to, you know, okay. showing up at a, a, a barbecue contest yes. for okay. several years in a row. Sounds like I you, like this guy. Before you got him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Jeffrey Steingarten has become a great friend and he is such an interesting, interesting individual. Um, but he was a celebrity judge at Memphis in May the first year that Apple City won. And he thought he he thought he ate you know the very best ribs on the planet as a judge, and when he heard that none of his teams won or placed, he just he had to taste what 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 really did win. And so, yeah, what could be that much better than, than what I just had exactly? And so he was, you know, came over to Apple City Barbecue, and of course they had been mobbed and all the food had been eaten after <laughs> after you win, everything you have is gone because everybody comes to your tent and wants to try it. And so Mike promised him some ribs and he didn't get them to him quite quick enough. And so he <laughs> called multiple times, like, when am I getting these ribs? When am I getting these ribs? And, you know, he finally did. And he actually wrote about that story in Vogue. Oh, cool. And he wow. writes about answering the door in his bathrobe and Very get, cool. these ribs are delivered and he <laughs> sits down and heats them and eats them, before, you know, and how wonderful they are. Um, and that story appeared in 1994 in Vogue. Um, and, that the day that it appeared, I mean, obviously Mike does not have a subscription to Vogue, so and he really didn't. He really didn't know who Jeffrey, who Jeffrey Steingarten was. To sure. be honest with you, Vogue did not mean that much to him. But he got a phone call from someone who said, "I am in the airport in Memphis, and I am reading about your ribs in Vogue magazine, and I want to know how I could get some." And he said, "Well, right now it's the Ducoin State Fair, and I'm every I'm cooking all these ribs, but I'm taking them to the fair." But, you know, call back next week and I'll get, I'll try to get you some. And, um, what, and what's your name? And the guy said, well, my, I'm George Wendt. He said, I'm Norm on Cheers. <laughs> and he wasn't saying it to be like, this wow. is who I am. Right? No, sure. just like, this is who I am. Wow. So, you know, the, the fair lasts 10 days and it's going on. And, and George called back frequently. And finally, Mike <laughs> was in the restaurant one night and, George called. And they're like, "Oh my God, please talk to this guy. He he's been calling all constantly." 
And so, you know, he made arrangements. He was going to get these ribs out in a few days to him. And he said, but I just have two favors to ask of you. When you get them, you have to call and tell me if you like them. And if you are ever in Southern Illinois, I want you to come and sit at our bar. So in our restaurant, we have this bar that came out of a speakeasy. May have been Al Capone's. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, people love to just belly up to the bar and it's just steeped in history. Cool. And so we wanted Norm to come and sit at our bar, which which has not happened. He still needs to get there. But he said, absolutely. And so the ribs are shipped. And a couple days later, we get this phone call and... There's lots of cheering and people are screaming in the background. We love your ribs. And he, and he loved it. And, and I was, when I was writing peace, love and barbecue, I wrote about that story. And so I just wanted to call and fact check with him. And, you know, it's quite a process to figure out how to get to a Hollywood person. And, you know, I had a friend who had a friend who found his agent who, you know, showed him the manuscript and he called me and he said, wow, I'm really he said, I don't remember. Like he was afraid I was making him sound pretentious by uh, announcing his name. And, sure. and I was assured him I was not, but you know, every now and then we do still ship him ribs, That's which awesome. is kind of fun. Yeah. That's so cool. Pretty cool. That's really, one of really the things cool. I love about, you know, praise the Lord and your first book in the books, obviously the recipes are absolutely incredible. I mean, it's just the fact that you guys are sharing those recipes with the world is such a treasure because you've, take it so much time to go over not just barbecue but sides and desserts and cocktails but i'm huge on stories and i love the everyone uh, loves the story i love yeah. i love the the playboy story about the phone calls about oh your gosh. sunday sermon yes can you can you tell us a little oh bit goodness, about that yes <laughs> this is another fantastic voicemail story yes so um so we were fortunate enough to be named top 10 barbecue and playboy and we needed to have a little fun with that sure and this is when the justin timberlake um, bringing sexy back song was out so one of our <laughs> servers put up this great billboard that said we're bringing sexy rack oh, I and just a, a play on words and it and it said top 10 playboy magazine and instantly this woman started calling and she never called during the day she would call at night and leave these voicemails that you know two minutes is your message amount of time and then she would call back and fin- keep finishing the message oh, she'd wear it out she'd wear yeah. it out wear, wear it out and you know you were promoting pornography, and I, I and she just went on and on and on. I want to know what Mike Mills is going to do about this, and we're like, well, we're Mike Mills is going to take all the publicity you can get. That's what's going to happen here. That's exactly. So, it's going to open that magazine right up. So yep. fin- exactly, we're thrilled. So finally, one of our managers, she did start calling the restaurant. So she was calling the office and leaving the voicemails, but she did start calling the restaurant. And we have just the sweetest manager. His name was Kale, and he was like, I don't know what to do or what to say. And I had about had it with her. And I said, you know, Kale, you need to tell her. First of all, I don't know why she thinks we're not Christians. You need to tell her that our minister said that we should look at this as a gift from God. This is publicity that is keeping us in business. Therefore, we're able to employ people in this town. It's a full economic circle is happening here. And we should look at it as a gift. And so he told her that the next time she called. And that woman did not skip a beat. She said, I want to have the name of that minister. <laughs> Give me the name of the minister. Wow. That is so amazing. So tell us about, you know, just this is two books now. You know, what, what's happened in these last two, you know, having the second book come out and, you know, the journey. How, 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 is it, uh, how has it been received by oh, the family? Gosh. Well, a lot has happened. Um, the second book is harder, and I feel, you know, maybe there's just pressure of living up to the first book, and I wanted it to be different, and, you know, I felt like I just gave it my all the first time around, and so it took me a while to figure out um, 
how to make this book, you know, different and have like have a reason to have a second book. And so we, I finally, you know, figured out how I wanted to do that and, and what I would do to make it different. And what I'm really proud of in this book is, you know, is the chapter about meat. And, you know, most cookbooks say, you know, start this fire and cook until, you know, an internal temperature of 185 degrees. But this one really tells you what to do 30 minutes in, an hour in, check it here. This is what you're looking for. So really excruciatingly um, painstaking steps for cooking the barbecue and just the rules of smoke and all the things that, um, you know, you have to learn over time. So I'm really proud of those, of that chapter in particular, but also just, you know, the stories behind all of the recipes. You know, every recipe has a reason for being or some sort of story. And then, of course, I love um, the opportunity to do the cocktails and sort of bring in a little more entertaining type things. And um, in this book, you know, the first book was all black and white pictures of people. It was more about the people. And it's certainly good recipes, but this, the focus was on the people. And so here the focus is really more on the food and, you know, styling. Um, there's the first book, I took all the pictures and they were all black and white. Sure. And now, you know, I have a, a stylist and a photographer, but it was important to me to have them all be very personal. And so I'm using, you know, my silver collection and cool. uh, my grandmother's China and everything that you see in there you know, has some sort of, I didn't go to a prop house and rent all those things. So it's, it's all very personal. And I like, you know, most people won't even notice those things, but I notice them. And I think a lot of people you'd be surprised will notice those things because that's what makes this so good is because you can feel the authenticity of the book, what it's really bringing into it. It's like, man, yeah. yeah, Whether they're understand it or not, you can feel, it's a feel. Mm-hmm. Right yeah. when you're feeling something, just like a brisket. Sometimes you can't. T- a brisket might be done a little early. It's it's the feel of right. it, and it's the same way with your book. It's the feel of when you start reading it. It grabs you, and you know that it's just a genuine book that you can actually get. Like I have my my pitmaster at my my shop, and I, I'm like, read it, yeah. understand it, because this is what it's about: is understanding different recipes and, and knowing what people go through and the stories, and and that's what's so cool about this stuff that you're so authentic about it and you're so open. The transparency in that is huge, and I think that's what people lack a lot of times. It's just everyone wants to hold everything so close, right? Right. And it's like, well, that, that's not what it's about. It's about sharing, right? Yeah. Sharing's caring. It's it's, a, it's it's corny, but it's it's what it is. It's like let's we can all make good good food let's all do it together and then mm-hmm. it'll bring everybody together so i mean i i just thank you guys for uh being vulnerable and doing that because it, sure. it really means a lot to, to guys like sean and i that uh read these things and can get so much out of them because it's uh it's not every day that you you see this so uh from the you know depths of our heart we want to thank you guys well, yeah, thank absolutely. you we really wanted that you know i consider this book a love letter it's like a love letter to our family to our town to the barbecue world you know you're just sort of really putting it out there and there's so many layers you know to what makes 17th street and it is about you know murfreesboro is a character in this book it, sure. it plays a huge role in the book and so many things wouldn't have happened if we didn't live in the type of town that we live in and we certainly, you know, speaking of money, could have made lots more money in this world had we lived in a more urban area or a more thriving area, you know. Mm-hmm. But instead, we live where we live, and 
it's become it's it is the official barbecue capital of Illinois, which we're really proud of. <laughs> really there cool. has been a that. history of barbecue since the early 1900s sure, in Murfreesboro, yeah. and we have a great T-shirt that lists all the barbecue restaurants and when they started. Nice um, on the back of it, and it, it's really a cool thing. And it's funny; it's the only thing the Illinois legislature has been able to agree on. Um, and even all those people in Chicago <laughs> who think they have some barbecue, leave it to barbecue. They it. even they agree Murphy's, that Murfreesboro is the official barbecue capital. So we're really that is awesome. proud of that. Well, we uh, we really appreciate your time. Before we let before we get you out of here, just tell tell us a little bit about National Barbecue Association and the conference here and why it's important for people to be members, to participate, and to get involved. Well, we have been members really since the beginning. There were there were a few earlier years that we didn't really come to the convention quite as much. But um, you know, Mike was the president in two thousand. I wish I could tell you what year, eight, maybe. <laughs> no, it was it was before that. It it was like maybe two thousand two or two thousand three, because some of the people I wrote about in Peace Love and Barbecue I did meet through mm-hmm. MBBQA, and I think you know. It, you get what you give in the in a group like this and when you come and you meet people and everybody has a story and everybody is from a different area but you're all united by this one common cause um and by the love of barbecue and it becomes a family reunion you come back year after year and you try to get new friends to come because you're so excited about you know what there is um what's offered here and you know and you know how it can impact somebody's life so it's really been you know important to our success and it's been something that we feel really strongly about and very committed to yeah i think one of the things we love about it is it brings so many different aspects of the business of barbecue from sauce to grill manufacturers to people that own restaurants people that are in catering people that are in vending you know one of the things that we're so fortunate with this podcast is people reach out from all over the globe that want to get into barbecue and they want to start selling at their local fair or they want to, uh, you know, start a catering business because people love their barbecue. You know, some of the things that we get asked, you know, just recently, one of our social shout outs this week is going out to Gulf Coast Barbecue and he sent us a direct message on Instagram just asking about menu costing, you know, and some of those things that you learn in business are very difficult Mm -hmm. and uh, any advice that you would have as far as how do you price barbecue to sell our advice your advice advice. well we're going through a big menu repricing right now so this is (laughs) a very fresh subject for us but you know the the whole um know your food cost and triple it is really not doesn't work anymore you will you'll go broke doing that so not only do you have to know your food cost but you also have to know what what your expenses are and what your market will bear so in our area we are the most expensive barbecue and we want to be the most expensive barbecue mike will say all the time well only he knows what his barbecue is worth (laughs) (laughs) and we we know what ours is worth so um that's my advice so where where can people find you on social people can find us at 17th street bbq um and on on all instagram twitter facebook uh, we also do have an on cue hospitality page. We we offer three barbecue classes a year, and we do some consulting. But I try to push people toward the classes because that's a little more economical. But we have a business of barbecue class that's only it's about half full right now. That's coming up April 9th and tenth. Um, that class is great for people who are either they're in the business and they want to see what we do at 17th Street. Um, and you know you could come to a class and learn just one 
tip or trick that can totally transform your business, or there are people who want to be in the business in some way. You know, they're really all um, all levels who come to the class, and it's really great. We have three different types of classes each yeah. year, and um, you can find us. You know, our 17th Street page obviously talks a lot about the restaurant, but then really we talk about all things barbecue. Perfect. Well, everything everything we do talk about today, we'll put uh, links into the show notes um, for this episode and. You know, for Derek and I, this is birthday boy over here. I, is it you know, your birthday? Yeah, it is. Has, Happy birthday. Thank a, you. He's expecting his third son, and I have him out here out in Texas. He's taking the time to come and podcast with, you know, Corey, myself, my wife, my son. But happy birthday to you, Derek. Thank you. You might and have to hop on a plane and get to that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's getting close. It's getting close. It's getting it close. is. 30 weeks. But barbecue is family, barbecue is sharing, and we're just so honored that you guys could take a little bit of time before NBBQA, IMBBQ 2018 Stockyards. I mean, this is this is what it's all about. I mean, we, we're, we're so fortunate that um, we're able to meet you and you were able to share your 17th Street story. And we hope that people buy the book, um, that they follow on social because those... Praise sun- the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yes. Because those Sunday yeah. sermons on Instagram, the, they make my week. Honestly, oh, thank they you. make my week. I don't thank know who you. puts them up, but um, keep putting them up because we uh, we absolutely love it. So thank you. Thank, thank you, you for, so much. Thank you for tuning in, and uh, we'll catch you guys next week. Wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Hey guys, this is Sean and Derek, and we just really want to thank you for listening to the podcast. It means the world to us. We'd like you to go check out BehindTheSmokeMedia.com. That's our website where we have barbecue resources for you to help build your barbecue business. Uh, We also have events listed. So anything that's happening in the West Coast barbecue movement, uh, anything that's going on, we want you to go check that out so you can learn more and get involved. We also have show notes uh, from all the episodes. So anything we talked about in the episodes, you can find detailed show notes there. Um, plus, you can just get in touch with us. It's important that uh, we're here as a resource for you. So please reach out. Let us know how Derek and I can help you with your barbecue journey. Uh, get involved. Stay curious. And uh, follow us on social at Barbecue War Stories. Uh, we'll talk to you soon.